You're listening to the weekly teaching podcast of Willamette Christian Church in Westland, Oregon. We hope that what you hear today inspires you to laugh, question, think, and grow. If you'd like to connect with us even further, hit us up online at willamette.cc or shoot us a direct message on Instagram or Facebook. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy this week's episode. Right. Good morning. Did Rich say I was like a modern C.S. Lewis? Did he? <laughs> I just want to crawl in a hole right now and die. Um, I always, in life, I try to keep really, really low expectations so that you can supersede them. And now this is doomed to fail right from the beginning. So good morning. Uh, have you uh, ever been in a talent show? Um, maybe even recently. I was, when I was writing the message, I was reflecting on that, and I can't remember. I need to ask my mother, because maybe as a child I was. I don't think I have many gifts and skills that translate typically into a talent show. So I was writing, and I got really interested in talent shows and did some research, and I decided to spend some time studying the most popular and famous talent show in the world called, I bet you know it, America's Got Talent. How many of you have seen America's Got Talent at some point? Don't be bashful. It's church. You've got to be truth tellers. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, prior to this message, I would not have raised my hand. I don't watch much network TV. I definitely don't watch reality TV. No judgment. Maybe like first season of Survivor in American Idol, something like that. So I'm, I knew of it. I know Simon Cowell. I'm familiar with it, but it never really watched any of it. So I opened up Google, and I Googled best performances of America's Got Talent, and then I lost like four hours of my life (laughs) that I'll never get back, ever. Um, You probably know better than me how the show works. There's judges, Simon, famous judges, and then people come with a wide variety of talents. And if they get a certain number of votes, I don't know all the specifics, they move on and eventually you want to get to the live performance. Am I right? I I think I'm right. And then you can win a bunch of money and become famous. So they have this thing, even in the auditions, if you're exceptional, like you're, you're the type of talent that one of the judges thinks can potentially win it all, you can hit the what? The gold, see, you guys know it, the golden buzzer. It's incredible. So that could be a life-changing moment. And they, you know, they do the slow-mo and the confetti. And the whole. So I got into it, and I'm watching it, and they have all kinds of talents. Like they have magicians. I encounter this guy, Piff the Magic Dragon, which is awesome. You, you, you're going to lose four hours of your life now because you're going to go home. And, and then they have uh, kind of like dangerous acts. There's this guy named... A miles, and he juggled stun guns, and each of the stun guns was 500,000 volts. So if it touched you, it would send you across the stage. So he's just like juggling, and then he's juggling, and he gets into a vat of water. And I'm just like, what? Nick Cannon's losing his mind. It's that kind of deal. So they have, they have those kind of things. They have uh, comedians. They have a guy named Tape Face that's really funny. And Men with Pans, don't Google that one. And just really, so I've, I've, been, I've been in my office at home, and I've got headphones on, and I'm just laughing. And my, my 13-year-old daughter passes through. She's like, Dad, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm doing sermon prep. Just give Dad <laughs> some space, honey, here. I, uh, I've got a tender heart, and so the ones I really like were, were the stories, right? Stories capture your heart. I think that's the beauty of the show. And there'd be this, these nine and 10-year-old little girls, and they get up, they're like, hello, you know? And then they open their mouths and start to sing, and you're like, what is that? 
Uh, there's a violinist, Tyler, got cancer, and during his rehab for cancer, he was getting bullied. He taught himself the violin and became a virtuoso. A little girl named Darcy's a ventriloquist, 12 years old, with a voice of an angel. There's a woman who went deaf and years later came and, and sang and played pitch perfect. I think my two favorite stories that really grabbed my heart, a young man named Cody Lee. Uh, he, he's, he's autistic and he's blind, and he comes up on stage and he struggled to communicate. The judges were asking him questions. He was struggling to articulate as people who have degrees of autism can do. And he's blind, he's being led to the piano, and he sat down the minute he began to sing and play, he was transformed. Uh, there's another story, Nightbird. You may be familiar with her story. She's a follower of Jesus. And she came on and she did win the golden buzzer. And at the time, she had a 2% chance of survival from cancer she was fighting. And uh, she, she made it to the live, live route and didn't get a chance to, and she passed away. And they would do some video interviews with her. And she, she really did glorify God till the very end. I'm, I went from laughing to literally crying five or six times. And you may be like, get it together, John. It's just America's got idol, got talent. I, and and I, there, Freudian slip. I, I was asking myself, why am I crying? What's, what's getting my heart? What's provoking my heart? And I, and I think for me, I think there's something so incredibly beautiful when you get to be seen for who you are. When, when someone hits the golden buzzer for you, both when you get a chance to do that for someone, like, I see you. You're special. That's beautiful. You can do that like no one can do that. Or when it's said to you, have you, has that ever happened? I hope. I hope at some point someone has gifted you with that to seeing how you were made in the Imago Day and to bless you with that. I think that's what was evoking it. I was like, that's so, it's godly, I think. It's beautiful. It's deeply moving. You may be asking, what does America's Got Talent have to do with Exodus 4? And that's a really great question. Let's see if I can get the trade back on the track. So uh, I, I hate just looking at passages and not having context. So I know some of you may be coming in, you know very little about scripture and the way of Jesus, and we're so glad you're here. And I don't want anybody to feel like I'm lost. I don't know what he's talking about. So really quickly, so where do we situate Exodus 4, if you're reading your Bibles? So we have Abraham called uh, to start a family, to start a nation, that eventually Jesus will, will come out of that, that nation. So then Abraham, Isaac, Jacob has the 12 sons, of which one is Joseph. He's pompous. He's got the coat of many colors. The brothers don't like him. He gets shipped off to Egypt where he's, he, he could tell Pharaoh what Pharaoh's dreams mean. And so he rockets up the ladder and it becomes really the most powerful person in the world. Then the brothers come and this is beautiful story of forgiveness. And Joseph, it really God, saves the nation. He brings them all there and feeds them during the famine and they grow and they flourish. There comes a time far after this that they're getting to be millions of people, and Pharaoh has now enslaved them. They become the workforce, and Pharaoh's getting concerned. So he tells the midwives that whenever uh, an Israelite young baby is born, it's a male to kill it. And many of the midwives were disobedient because they love babies. And one of those babies that was saved by the courage of a midwife was named Moses. Moses was adopted uh, into Pharaoh's household, grew up royalty, but Moses, somewhere along the line, we don't know when, learned his story. And one day, he sees one of his Hebrew brothers being mistreated, and he's had enough, 
and he snaps and he kills the person. And then he runs. He's on the lamb. He's a murderer. And he flees out into the wilderness. And we pick up the story where he's been there for, are you ready for this? 40 years. Think about that. 40 years, a murderer on the run. He's got a family. He's just a simple shepherd who's got to be really, really lonely. 40 years of mundaneness. And all of a sudden, he looks in the distance. He's like, that's a bush on fire. What is going on? And it's not being extinguished, and it's talking to me. So he approaches the bush, and the voice says, back up, idiot. It's a burning bush, something like that. Yeah. Why are you approaching the burning bush? And then it says, like, take off your shoes. This is a holy place. I am the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And at that point, Moses knew, turned his face away, which is a sign of respect. And then God starts this conversation. We have bits and pieces of the conversation. Essentially, God says to Moses, I've heard my people crying out, and I'm ready now. I'm going to deliver them, and you, Moses, are the guy. And Moses is like, you know. And then he starts to argue. Moses becomes known as the friend of God. This is what friends do. They have conversations. They have arguments. That's what good friends do. Like, God, like... Really? Come on. You gotta have a better plan than the shepherd who's on the run for murder. Like, there's gotta be, I, I stutter. Have you considered my brother Aaron? On and on. This is how the conversation goes. How will I do this? And he says, I will be with you, which is a really great answer. I'll be with you. You'll be okay. Well, okay, okay. If I go, if I decide to go, how will Pharaoh, who Moses probably knew, how will you know that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is with me. Years ago, I was listening to someone preach on Exodus, and they highlighted a point of this passage that's always lingered with me. And God answers with a question, which Jesus all often answered with a question. So Moses is like, what's going to be my calling card? And God says, what's in your hand? What's in your hand? Well, he was holding a staff. What does that mean? Well, the staff epitomized who Moses was. It was, it was Moses' identity. It was really all Moses had to offer anyone. It guarded the sheep. It guided the sheep. It was his emblem. It was his identity. It was everything that he was. He's like, what's in your hand? And he's like, essentially, will you let go of it? Will you, look, will you let me use what's in your hand? It's not much. Granted, we could agree on that. Will you let me use it? Let's throw it down. It's a big step in the story. Throw it down. Let go of it. There was a dad turns into a snake that he says, pick it up. At this point, I would have been out. All right, I'm like Indiana Jones, no snakes. You know, don't hit it. Moses picks it up, turns into a staff. Here's the interesting part is we follow this story, and if you've never studied or read Exodus, it's a really great book. As we follow the story, the, the staff is never, ever again referred to as the staff of Moses. From here on out in the story, it's referred to as the staff of God. So Moses took his wife and sons, put them on a donkey, and started back to Egypt. And he took, here it is, the staff of God in his hands. And you could argue this staff literally, not without, no hyperbole here, changes the world because he let it go. God took this very little thing, Moses let it go. And I love this story because I relate. Um, I think most humans have what is called imposter syndrome, 
if you only knew, you know, my brokenness, if you only knew my brokenness, if, if you do how I have feet of clay, right? If we're, we're thinking this as we get into the different spheres of life. We all do. We're all broken by sin. We're all desperately in need of God's grace. So when someone asks us or sees something in us or calls us to do something significant, this stuff bubbles up in even the best of us. I don't know. There's got to be another play. This is why I love this story. But Moses, he, he, he does, give him credit for this, take the step of courage. So for all you out there who are like me and may have imposter syndrome, this story is a great encouragement. I hope this morning will be. I trust you, you didn't know me in high school, but if in the yearbook they would have had a, a picture for least likely to be a pastor, it would have been this guy. So God uh, is an expert at working with the littlest things and the people who have the most broken hearts, just like me and maybe just like you. Throughout this morning, I want you to think about two questions. This is where I don't want you to be passive. I, I, I kind of, I love preaching, but I kind of hate it too because you're so passive out there and I want to engage your bodies and your mind and I truly want the spirit of God and God's word to take hold of us. So I want you to turn on your brains if you're somewhere else, if you're tuned out, if you're thinking about the past or thinking about what's in the future, just I'm praying that you'll be present with the spirit of God. And I want you to think about these two questions this morning. I think they're really, really important transformative questions. They could change your life. What is in your hand? What is in your hand? And what are you going to do with what you've been given? What are you going to do with what you've been given? And here's the deal with these questions. You can't look to the person beside you to help you answer them. We, We live as a community, and that's really important. And there'll be some community elements of what I talk about this morning. But this is really your journey and your stewardship of who God has made you this morning. I want to touch upon a a parable that I believe Grant talked about. We're in a series called Entrusted, and it's how God's entrusted us with with time and treasures, and then today we're talking about talent. So Grant, I think a few weeks ago, if I'm correct, or maybe last week, uh, talked about talents. And this, or, or Marty, forgive me, Marty talked about talents. And so Marty touched on this parable, and Marty taught this parable of Jesus Um, through the lens of money, which is incredibly appropriate. I think that's the lowest hanging fruit in this parable, but there's more there. And I want to return to it again through a little bit different lens. Let me talk just for a second again to give context for parables. Parables are really weird. Uh, And here's how Jesus is using them. Jesus' main message was to bring the kingdom of God. That was it. She's like, the kingdom's coming. It's coming through my death and resurrection. Anyone can come and enter it now. We don't have to wait to that. You can enter it now. And one day, the kingdom of heaven will eclipse the kingdom of earth. And all will be made right and well. That's kind of Jesus' basic message in a nutshell. So the problem was, we're so immersed in this kingdom of the world, all of us, even those of us who faithfully follow Jesus, we can't see the kingdom of heaven. We can't differentiate. We, don't, we miss it sometimes. So Jesus, imagine, he's launching it for the first time. So he could just kind of give them, you know, point by point, this is what it's like. That's not only boring, but it's ineffective. And it's so crazy the kingdom of God, he couldn't just tell him. He had to come at it from a sideways angle. So he, he told stories. He told these parables. The Greek word parable uh, means to throw down alongside something. So Jesus was coming, and he's throwing all these little, cute, crazy stories down beside the kingdom of the world and saying, look at, look at the two. Compare the two. Look at the difference. Which one do you want to enter into? That's kind of how parables are supposed to work. Some are really easy to understand. Some are more difficult to understand. So he throws down this parable, Matthew 25, 
14 through 29, if you want to open your Bibles and look at it or familiarize. It's a very basic parable. I'm sure Marty did an outstanding job. But let me just summarize a little bit. There's a rich man that goes away, and he leaves behind three servants that he entrusts with different levels of talents is literally what the Greek word means. Uh, I think they would have understood in its original context first and foremost as money because a talent was valued at 6,000 denarii. I did a little math for you. That's dangerous for pastors, but let's give it a go. Uh, So one denarius was the equivalent of a day's wage for common labor. The minimum wage in Oregon is 14 20 an hour. It's about $115 a day. So a talent in this story is worth, in, in today's economy, about $690,000. So he's dispersing five to one, two to another, one to another. So in total, the rich man is dispersing to his servants to invest $5,520,000. I'll only tell you that. It doesn't matter, <laughs> the specifics. But that's how the original listeners would have heard it. Like, whoa, whoa, that's a, that's, a lot of, that's a lot of investment. That's a lot of trust. That's where we have to emotionally enter into the story. Jesus would have wanted us to feel that. Like, whoa, that's a lot. So the one he entrusted with five, the one he entrusted with two doubles it. This is kind of the basic parable. The one he entrusted with one buries it. So the rich man comes back. And to settle accounts or to literally hold them accountable... And to the, the, the servant who had five and the servant who had two, the double, he says, well done, my good and faithful servant, which is what I want to hear Jesus say one day. I think probably you do too. But to the one who buried the treasure, he called him or her a wicked and lazy servant. I don't want to hear that. Here's kind of basic principles as we enter in where Jesus is throwing this alongside how we do life. And so we, we got the principles that, that talent, first of all, is more than money. That's why we're returning to it. Because it says he gave them talents according to their abilities. Here's the interesting thing about the etymology of talent. I love etymology, the story of words. The etymology of talents, how we understand talents today, which is America's Got Talent, came from Jesus' parable. Isn't that crazy? It changed it. So they even know, the original listeners, they understood it was money, but they knew it was more than money. So as we enter in the story, they're more than money, it's abilities, and, and, and second, they're given to us. They're given to us. And this is crucial for this entire series. If we don't get this, we don't get anything. That everything we have, time, treasure, talents, has been given to us. If you struggle with that, you'll struggle with anything that we talk about. It's hard, right? Because there's some really gifted people in the room that work really hard. And you're like, well, John, I kind of work harder than that bum. That's what we're thinking. We don't say that out loud. <laughs> and I'll be like, well, who gives you breath? Who gives you brain? Who gives you energy? Who gives you passion, right? God, God, God. Paul said to the Corinthian church, what do you have that you have not been given? Nothing. So that's in the parable. We, we have been entrusted with things, and they've been given to us by a gracious, loving God. And then here's kind of the third little thing, is that we're going to be held accountable for how we use them. That's the hard thing, isn't it? I don't know what that looks like, to be honest, but we will be. We'll have to give an account for how we have used and invested the things that each of us, and that's going to be different, five, two, one, whatever, for everyone. Peter says it really well. First Peter 4.10, each of you uh, should use whatever gift you have received to serve others 
as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. So you, you may be thinking at this point, okay, <laughs> well, what talent do I have? Well, that's a great question. I wanna spend a little bit of time on that question. So as I, as I process this, I'm, I'm gonna try to make this really practical, and we're gonna use a vas- basic Venn diagram. We use those things for everything, but I think talent, the, the, the non-monetary stuff we've been given to entrust for the, to, to, to steward for the glory of God and the good of others has four components. And so if you wanna, this is where I want you to engage as I bring up and we'll just briefly touch on any, each of them, but write them down, record them in your mind, return to them later, start to answer them in real time in your mind and heart, enter into your life groups and your community to invite uh, wisdom from the people who live with you to be like, this is what I'm thinking, what do you think? At the end of this, Hopefully, you'll have a clear idea what your talent is. Are you guys good with that? Ready? So you got to turn on your brains, turn on your bodies. If you're thinking about something else, don't. Let's lean in. All right, so the first aspect of our talents is our skills. I was thinking, I can't, I, I can't imagine saying someone's skilled at something without also assuming that they practice a lot. Certainly, some people are just born naturally gifted at certain things, yes, but we would never say that person is really skilled in this without also saying they practice a ton. One of my favorite basketball players is Kobe Bryant. You may love him, you may hate him, but Kobe's notorious, the stories. I mean, obviously one of the most gifted basketball players that's ever lived, height, speed, strength. But Kobe was the first in the gym and the last out of the gym. You just, these stories are legend. Just worked, 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 worked to become skilled. John Coltrane, some argue the greatest saxophone player of all time, he used to quip that he practiced 25 hours a day. <laughs> and there's stories about John Coltrane almost every night falling asleep with his horn to his lips. He would practice one note for four to five straight hours. He didn't need to to be successful, but he worked. He was skilled. We have uh, someone from our welcome team at New Hope. His name is Ron. And Ron is one of my favorite people in our entire church. Uh, Ron has uh, some developmental disabilities that he, he, uh, he's walked through life with, with grace. Uh, he's so kind. He's so happy. He wears a hat that says Ron, and he introduces himself as Rod to everyone who enters New Hope. I just love the guy. He's always opening his Bible, telling me what he's learning. Uh, so we were sitting out, his bus was coming, we were uh, a couple weeks ago waiting for his bus, and I said, Ron, what are, you, what are you doing today? And, you know, he's got a job and this and that, but he kind of he got really excited, he's like, I'm going bowling. I was like, bowling? That's all, I bowl like once every five years, I don't know if you bowl, I'm like, bowling, that's great, Ron. I was like, what do you bowl? Like, what's your average? He's like, 227. <laughs> I had to like keep my face up, What? You know, and then, you know, I was like, Ron, that's incredible. I was like, you're going to have to give me some tips sometime. He's like, well, John, you take the ball and you roll it straight. <laughs> thanks, thanks, Rod. Appreciate that. Ron's skilled. What are you skilled at? You may think it's, it's nothing, that you don't even want to bring it up. It's embarrassing. No, it's not. It's part of who you are. What's in your hand? What are you going to do with what God has given you? So we have the, the quadrant of skills. All right? So then we have uh, spiritual gifts. I know Grant talked about spiritual gifts maybe a, a month or two ago. So maybe you're familiar, maybe you weren't here for that message. Spiritual gifts, here's a definition by theologian Mike Bird. He says, spiritual gifts are an empowerment from God 
for God's people through the Spirit for spiritual work in the church. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you have put your faith in Jesus for salvation, you have the Holy Spirit in you, and you have at least one spiritual gift. No, I don't. Yes, you do. (laughs) You do. At least one spiritual gift. You may not be aware of it. You may not be using it, but you have one. So here's a a list of uh, uh, spiritual gifts. There's no exhaustive list in Scripture. If you want to take a picture of that, you can read those passages. That's where uh, uh, partial lists are in Scripture. So I just kind of compiled them, and you can get a taste there for spiritual gifts. So you, uh, to be a healthy body of Christ, this is the body imagery Paul uses for the Corinthian church. Every gift in this body has to be actualized and used. If you've ever had an injury, if you're, you, know, you broke a toe or you pulled a hamstring or something else is going on, your entire body struggles. That's why when we say we want you in the game, it's not like we're needy and desperate. It's because we want something for you. Not from you, but for you. We want something for this body. We want to operate as the body of Christ so that you come alive and you're using your spiritual gifts. I think one of the stupidest things churches do, and I don't know this church well enough to know if you do it, probably not, is to have people not using their gifts or people doing something that's not in their gift mix. Like we shouldn't have anybody on the welcome team that doesn't have gifts of hospitality, right? <laughs> at, a, at a base level, or people teaching that don't have the gift of teaching, or people doing finances that don't have the gift of administration. This is kind of basic, low-hanging fruit. We should be using our gifts. Sometimes the gift is a supernatural thing, but oftentimes it's something that you're already kind of noted for being good at, and the Holy Spirit just amplifies it and blesses it when we look to Jesus to use it. So you may be wondering, how do I, how do I discover my spiritual gift? There'll be a QR code uh, that comes up here. Um, I was told by somebody, I won't say who, that this campus struggles with QR codes. I don't know what that means, but if, do you need me to explain it to you? I don't know. You, just, you take a picture of it, and it goes there. There's a ton of resources uh, right there on that QR code, little tests you can take, things you can do. I think that's helpful. Like, if, if you're starting from, from first base, you're like, I, I've never even heard this term before, but I'm intrigued, and I want to know. Um, I'd encourage you to go mess around there. Here's the best way to figure it out, though. Here's the best way. Just start serving in what you think your gift might be and allow others to give you the golden buzzer. That's how, that's how it works. Like, hey, and, and do that for one another. This is the beauty of the body of Christ. Hey, you know, can I, just, can I just tell you, when I see you greet, you're incredible. You're awesome. Hey, when you do this, when you work with children, oh my goodness, I can't wait to drop my child off because they love you. And just know that. We don't do that enough as the body of Christ. It's also a way when you hear that three or four times, you might say, huh, God might have gifted me in a certain way. What's in your hand? What are you gonna do with what you've been given? So we have the skills and we have the gifts. Now we have the experiences. Each, I would love to, if I had the time, and maybe over years I will, to sit down with each of you and just hear your story. I I guarantee you it's unique. Every story is. You're uniquely made in the Imago Dei and your story is unique, both what, what God has prescribed for you, but also where we deviate from God's path and the word for that is sin and go our own ways. God has the beautiful capacity to come in and use that and weave that into our unique stories. Nothing, hear this, is wasted with God. 
Nothing. It can all be redeemed. And some of you need to hear that this morning. I think when I think of this quadrant, uh, I think particularly in our experiences of the sufferings that we have gone through. It's really interesting. I don't watch a ton of the superhero movie things. Some of you really might like those. But I, I, I do know that almost every superhero that I could think of, their superpower came from a moment of struggle or suffering. Isn't that interesting? I thought immediately of Batman. Uh, that, that's, that's, that's Christian Bale Batman, who is the best Batman, by the way. We could have gone with the worst Batman. Yeah, I mean, I like George Clooney, but come on, you know? Come on, Ben Affleck would have been a close second for worst. Anyway, I'm getting distracted. So Bruce Wayne, right, sees his parents get murdered in Gotham, and then it becomes the fire in his belly to use all that he's been given to make Gotham right again. Maybe I'm reading too much, and I don't think so. Pay attention to your struggles. Pay attention to your sufferings. I got, we got two families we're close to uh, that, that have lost multiple children, <laughs> and they faithfully followed Jesus with tears in their eyes. One I texted this morning because it was the birthday of their, their, their boy that passed away years ago. And I don't know anybody on planet Earth that I would want to sit down with people who lost someone they loved. It's not wasted experience. We sat, we sat recently with friends that years ago passed through an affair and their marriage is never healthy. It almost ended them. It, almost, it was the grace of God and their courage and faith. I don't know anybody that I would want to walk with a couple that are navigating the horrors of an affair than them. God doesn't waste that as part of our talent. It's part of what's in our hand. What's in your hand? What are you going to do with what you've been given? So are we following here? Are you following the Venn diagram? Right. Right. Skills and gifts. You all have all these, and you have experiences, unique experiences. The last one is what Christians do a horrible job talking about and, frankly, don't like talking about, but it's our passions, we get freaky with passions. We get weird. We don't like talking about our passions. Have you noticed in the Psalms, which is our prayer book, which is Jesus' prayer book, all the time the Psalms are so passionate. They're talking about how God has put desires in our hearts from God. C.S. Lewis, who I, I'm hesitant to even mention now, <laughs> used to say that our problem is not that we have desires as we don't have enough of them. And we, we often we think about where do I want to serve, what do I want to do with our life. We don't talk about our passions. Like we're embarrassed by them, we're scared of them. And this factors into what God has given us. Listen to your passions. Uh, Eric Little, he was, he was a missionary to China. He was martyred there. His story as an Olympic runner was memorialized in the movie Chariots of Fire. Maybe you saw that years ago. He once said when he, ran, when he ran, he felt the pleasure of God. When do you feel the pleasure of God? That's your passions. God put them there. Uh, there there's this great quote by a guy named Frederick Buechner. He's one of my favorite writers. He said, the place God calls you is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. Where is that for you? What an exciting question. I love, love, love backpacking. If I, if I have any skill, it's starting a fire way in the backcountry when it's wet. I'm good at that. I can say that. I don't think they do talent shows for that kind of thing. Uh, but I love it. When I, I went, someone took me backpacking when I was a teenager, and something awoke in me. 
something just came alive. I, to this day, I, I encounter God in the wilderness. I mean deep wilderness more than any place on earth. So I go once a year backpacking different national parks. And when I was a youth pastor for many years, I would take the kids, you know, 15, 20 out of shape teenagers up into the Rockies with Young Life and we go backpacking. And the stories of how they encounter God, how I encounter God every year, I just love it. That's a Glacier National Park. We went there uh, two summers ago. Uh, also, uh, as I build relationships with pastors in the city, which is one of my, my passions, um, I, I, I like taking pastors out in the wild for hikes. They're always like, can, can we hang out? I'm like, you ready to hike? Let's go. I'm also going to start any, any boys that want to date my girls, they need to go on a backpacking trip with me. <laughs> if they survive, maybe they can date them. You know, it's going to... It's going to be the criteria there. So that, that's me. What, what is your passion? What, what have you been given? What's in your hand? What are you going to do with what you've been given? So your talent, this is what I'm proposing, agree, disagree, helpful, non-helpful, I don't know. For me, it was helpful. Your talent is where your, your skills and your gifts and your experiences and your passions meet. That's what you've been given. Will you let it go? <laughs> Will you hold on to it and bury it? That's the essential question. One of my uh, favorite movies in the world is uh, Mr. Holland's Opus. Is an, are you guys familiar with this? It's an old movie. I was told it was filmed in Grant High School. Last week I was preaching uh, this message in New Hope, and our bassist, who's in his 20s, was like, I was an extra in that movie. I was six. I'm just like, I'm so old. So old. <laughs> Uh, if you haven't seen it, it's a really great movie. When I, as I said, when I was a youth pastor a long time, we'd take all the bus trips everywhere. I'd always put on Mr. Holland's Opus. They're like, not Mr. Holland's Opus again. You know, we don't want to watch this thing. And I don't think to date I've watched it without crying. It gets me every single time. Richard Dreyfuss, uh, he is a, he's a musical prodigy, and he wants to write this world-changing opus, which is like a symphony. And so that's his life goal. So, but he, he, he unexpectedly, they have a child. He's got to pay the bills. They buy a house. So he gets a job at a local high school as a music teacher, just as a standby until he can save up some money to write this opus. Well, you know how the story goes. It's all of our stories in a way. 30 years pass. 30 years pass. Doesn't have time for the opus. But he's an incredible teacher. So he, uh, the, the movie near the end, his son's fully grown and he's old and gray and he's retiring. So he's walking down the hallway, I guess, of Grant High School and clearing out his cubby and his locker and then he hears noise. And he's one of those teachers, you know him, that anything going on in the school, they gotta know what's going on. Like, he's like, what is that? What's happening? I, they didn't have a reservation. And of course, his son and wife know what's happening. And so he opens the auditorium and it's packed with students. And then he starts crying, and I start crying, and you'll start crying when you watch it. And, and so he gets the front row, and they're there to say goodbye and thank him. And um, one of his students, problem student that he kind of invested in and turned her life around, she's become governor, so she's the keynote speaker. She comes in late with her entourage down the middle and gets up there, and she has this great speech. But essentially she said, Mr. Holland, you probably thought your life was a failure because <laughs> you never wrote your opus Here's the tear-jerking line. We are your opus. And I want to leave you with this. When you think about what do I do with what I've been given? Yes, hand it over to the Lord for the, for the glory of God and the good of others. But the others is key. The others is key. Uh, 
I had a theology prof once who said, what if our crown's in heaven, if you know that thing, like, we'll get rewarded. I'd never know what that is. It's just weird. He says, what if they're people? What if they're people? Paul said to the Philippian church, you're my crown and my joy. I know people are about the only thing we invest in that's eternal, that will last. A lot of us sink our hearts into things that are worthy. They're not evil. They're good, but they don't last. I want to challenge you this morning because I think this is a kingdom principle, to invest what you've been given in the life of others. If we have the privilege, and I think it will be, on our deathbeds of having our brains work, being able to reflect and think about our life, I think that would be a privilege. I guarantee you this, because I've been in that space. I guarantee this. You, will, you, will, you won't look back and be like, I'm, I regret that I didn't spend more hours on my fantasy football team. You know, I have to be this guy. <laughs> or I'm, you know, you know, I'm, I'm, as I look back, I'm so proud I built that big business or I, you know, did this or did this or this, whatever it is. Whatever, these things aren't inherently bad. Don't, please hear me. You'll regret, and I will regret, that we didn't give our lives away to the people in our lives. That's the way of Jesus. That's eternal. That's stuff we take with us. So as we look at the kingdom of the world and the kingdom of God, and clearly Jesus says, I've given you stuff, remarkable stuff to invest. And I'm gonna come back and check on you to see how you're doing. How are you doing with that? The world would tell us, bury it, i.e. keep it to yourself. Play it safe, just, that's what the world says, accumulate, grasp, hold on, the way of Jesus says, let it go, let it go. Uh, Brendan Manning, who was an author that impacted my life greatly, he was a Catholic priest, wrote a bunch of books. He was childhood friends with Shel Silverstein, who, who wrote many children's books. And they grew up together, and they, they crossed paths many years later when they were both in, in, their, in their occupations. And Shel s- shared with Brennan that he had become a follower of Jesus, which is kind of a shock to Brennan. He was a new believer. And Brennan's like, that is remarkable. He's like, he's like you're a writer, I'm a writer. So I'm, I've been pondering this, like, how would you describe the love of God, the heart of the gospel? How would you describe it? And Shell's like, like any good artist says, let me think about it. Let me think about it. A couple weeks later, Brennan opens the mail, and he's got a manuscript that's a rough draft of a book called The Giving Tree. And you may be familiar with it. If you're not, you should get a copy and read it to your kids, but read it to yourself. And it's basically the story of a tree and a boy, and the tree loved the boy. That's the cadence of the story. And in loving the boy, the boy is kind of selfish. <laughs> and the boy grew to be a, an adolescent and an adult male, and the boy kept on taking, taking, taking. That's the way of the world. Take, 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 take. And the tree, really, was Jesus and the love of God. And the tree just gave and gave and gave, and it made the tree happy. The last, the last line, the last picture, I think the picture will come up, is the tree has nothing left. There's a stump, and the boy is an old man and says, hey, like, I don't have anything else to ask for from you. I'm about to die. <laughs> uh, can I just lay my head on your stump? And the tree says, yes. And the last line is, and it made the tree happy. That's life. That's the parable that's thrown down. That's the... That's the juxtaposition of the way of Jesus and the way of the world. Jesus said to, to discover our lives, we have to give them away. 
And then we will step into and experience what Paul said to young Timothy, the life that is truly life. What's in your hand? And what are you going to do with what you have been given? Let me pray for us. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, thank you for your outrageous love for us. There's people that just this morning, they just need to know they're loved. And I pray your Holy Spirit would allow them to know they're loved, not because of what they do or how they look or who they know or what they've accomplished, but because of your grace. You just love them, and that's unchanging. God, thank you that uh, you could have done this story so many different ways. You didn't need us. And at times, I think it's a horrible plan, probably like Moses did. But you wrote this story in such a way as to invite us into the story, to give us these incredible gifts, all of us, to steward for your glory and for the good of the world. Give us courage, God. Give us the tenacity of heart to not cling to these things and hold them and act like we possess them and they're ours, but to give them away, to let them go. In that, we will find life. So God, I pray for people this morning even that are hearing this message and thinking, I, yeah, I heard all that. I don't know that I have any of those quadrants. I don't know that I have anything to add to anybody. And God, lift their eyes to you. Lift their eyes to you. That's where their hope comes from. And remind them who they are. Remind them that they're beautiful and they're gifted and they're loved and you're inviting them into this outrageous story. Thank you, God, for your broken body of your son and your spilled blood of your son. Uh, It is our only, only hope. And as we come to the table, we enter that story and we remember and we celebrate and we look forward. We pray this all in the matchless name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen.